Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass Piancy, and I am joined as usual by my partner in crime, Mr. Bennett Tomlin. How are you doing today? Tired, but pretty good. How are you, Cass? Ah, I'm good. Uh, so that's good. But we are joined by two very special guests today, Oscar Saguero and Mario Gomez, both who are much more aware of what's going on in El Salvador than Bennett and I, who have tried to get an idea of how Naib has been b behaving and what this Bitcoin legal tender has meant for for the the country of El Salvador in Central America. But but welcome both of you. It's great to have you on. Oscar, let's start with you. How did you get into all, all of this? Like, how did you get into El Salvador, this Bitcoin stuff, uh, all of it? Yeah, uh, well, thank you for having me, Cass and Bennett, and hi, Mario. Um, well, to make long story short, you know, uh, I, I've been living in the U.S. for the last uh, 15 years almost, and I got into crypto back in 2014 in New York City when you had the first Bitcoin ATMs uh, nearby Wall Street, and you had like the first bar that took Bitcoin to sell you drinks. So, <laughs> and uh, well, I am a Salvadoran, born and raised. So when all of this surprising news happened last June, I, um, you know, quickly became interested into what was happening in my country with Bitcoin. So I actually went to El Salvador and I spent there the last, let's say, from July to uh, November last year to be there for the Bitcoin day and whatnot. So that's how it was. Okay. Okay, great. And just uh, to inform everyone, you are a senior software engineer. I didn't mention either of your jobs. I uh, should have done that. But but Mario, <laughs> uh, let us know also how you got into the all of this. Um, you're a developer. So obviously, you have some familiarity with the, the space. But also, you're, you're born and raised El Salvador as, as well, right? Yes, I'm Salvadorian too. Well, it's uh, in my case, uh, we were like uh, monitoring all the developments of uh, the crypto space, but uh, more like in close uh, technological communities back there in El Salvador. So it was like a surprise for all of us to uh, this announcement for, for the president because no one expected them. It, it was something that uh, was only of interest of these small uh, communities because let's say that I have like a little bit of audience in Twitter. I decided to try to explain to people what this uh, all about, uh, especially with with Bitcoin. And a lot of people started to follow me on on Twitter over Twitter. And then I uh, got asked by by local uh, news uh, and uh, newspapers, and also for radio and television uh, programs to explain to people what this was. So my idea was to explain to people in simple words uh, what's this technology, what uh, were the implications for El Salvador, and why it didn't make sense, at least from the uh, principles that uh, the Bitcoin promoters say that are trying to promote with uh, with bitcoin so yeah that's that's my history back there in el salvador yeah great the reason though that we're having both of you on today is not just because you are you know more about this than we do it's because there's been kind of a major update with the bitcoin volcano bond that was <laughs> offered oh yeah um 
that was or about to go on, I guess about to go on sale. I'm not exactly sure how this is all working, but it has been delayed. It's been delayed until supposedly September. And uh, essentially what they've said is that it has to do with pension reform. It has to do with <laughs> Ukraine. It has to do with the price of Bitcoin. And it has to do with just about anything. But the idea the that possibly, moving. yeah, the plan, right, a bunch of things on the planet. Um, the only thing it doesn't have to do with is that this bond is possibly undersubscribed and that people aren't interested in purchasing any of it. Um, but I just want to hear what you guys think about this delay and what you think is behind it and what it could mean. Well, maybe I can start saying that uh, the government is not uh, known by delivering on time. <laughs> and uh, that's something that you need to know because uh, it, it's not the first time that the government make this kind of announcements of something. There is like a long list of things that they supposedly uh, need to deliver <laughs> uh, all of, of these promises. Same here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's more, I will think that it's more or less the same here. And, and the problem is that they usually try to rush things uh, a little bit the way that they Russia to develop this uh, Chivo application and uh, then faces a lot of problems on the release. So I will think that it could be a combination of these kind of things, let's say. I see. I, see. <laughs> I don't know you what You think it's just bureaucratic it. delays as opposed to any kind of undersubscription or any issues with the bond itself? It, it could be a little bit of everything because, I mean, uh, the thing is that I... I don't think that for the Bitcoin they are facing any kind of bureaucratic uh, issues because they essentially control everything. So they can approve a law in the same day that they sent to the uh, to the legislators. So it, I don't think it's it's a bureaucratic thing. Probably it has to do with uh, I don't know. Maybe they don't have uh, a technical. Uh, partner that is able to develop everything that they need to develop to to uh, for the bonds. Uh, originally, I was thinking that maybe uh, Blockstream already has everything in place just to release, but. Uh, you never know because you know they they change the 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 message every day and yeah probably it doesn't have anything to do with uh, any bureaucratic problems or technological problems maybe that's the reason maybe it, it's not that interesting for the for the potential buyers i have a couple of theories you know like um at the beginning after the bond was announced and after i had the chance to see a few slides that were um, distributed by Tether. On those slides, by the way, uh, you could see how they had at least three currencies. They had Tether, Bitcoin, and the USD, US dollar. And, um, you know, like the bond will be emitted and it will be on the liquid network and everyone will be able to, to purchase it, like starting at 100 bucks. Uh, so it was like, a really, really low entry point. So any investor in theory could access it and everything. I agree with what Mario said about not being something that they couldn't do because, yeah, like once the president tells the Congress at the moment, because it's packed on, on his favor, right? Like approve these laws, they will approve them in no time. Like they even like session on a Sunday, like I have a special sessions on a Sunday to change some laws 
uh, at his request. So if they wanted to approve these 52 laws, 52 bills that they've been talking about, certainly they can do it. But my initial theory was that Tether wanted to uh, actually purchase the bonds themselves to back their uh, stable coin with sovereign debt and be able to let's say, sell this idea of, you know, giving liquidity to governments that don't have like a really good relationship with the IMF because the IMF asks for accountability, you know, and democracy. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that was my my initial thought, you know, like they will use El Salvador like a, like a Petri dish, like a little experiment to be able to go to Philippines and, uh, you know, other places, and offer this to other uh, governments that needed liquidity. And you know how, how in the crypto markets you can like have tethers one day, have Bitcoin the next day, and have US dollars the next day. So if Naive needed liquidity for you know paying some uh, sovereign debt that is coming uh, due on next year, you know like some 800 million in euro bonds that they have to pay, he will have that billion dollars uh, to pay it, and he will still have you know, like 200 million to do whatever it is uh, related to Bitcoin City or whatnot. But also you have to remember that the Fed in the United States has been raising the rates. Uh, the cost of money is uh, not the same as one year ago. Uh, there's less liquidity in the crypto market. The volumes of what Bitcoin is moving is much less. So like, if you launch this bond right now, there'll be less liquidity in the market and less uh, individual investors or plebs, if you want to <laughs> call them like that, uh, <laughs> that will be willing to invest their, their cash into these kind of things. And obviously, you know, like the the Ukraine and Russia um, situation is is uh, making the markets even more volatile. So that was my my you know my thought. Like at the beginning, oh, you know, this is just like Tether is going to do like a wash trade here. And then um... it's a great theory, by the way, I just want to say, I think that's a fantastic theory. <laughs> yeah. And I do think I, it, it makes me think of I don't know, I think we're probably all familiar with that image of the snake eating its own tail. <laughs> they would have us. Yeah, like the, yeah, so, yeah. So it just it very much like Tether being able to create these like Blockstream and Tether creating the bond that they then buy with the Tethers that they then sell for the Bitcoin and the USD that they then, you know, like it's just this crazy weird loop that never ends. Um, so I think you make some really compelling points there, actually. Uh, uh, and I don't want to, sorry, I don't want to take away from Bennett. Bennett, go ahead. Well, no, I, I was just going to say much the same thing. Is, is your theory that this was Bitfinex Securities and Blockstream working together to create the bond and the platform where it could be traded so that Tether could acquire it was always one of my pet theories, especially since, and we talked about this back in episode 36 when we discussed this bond last time, the bond was a bad deal. Like you could buy existing El Salvador sovereign debt <laughs> and a set of Bitcoin yes. and spend less than you would on the bond. And so it really kind of seemed like either they were targeting a single large investor who had already committed, like say Tether, or that they were trying to do the other thing you mentioned, which was try to get some of the quote-unquote plebs to try to invest so that uh, they could fill out the rest of the bond, right? Take advantage of people who perhaps didn't recognize that they were getting a worse deal than they should have. And so I guess what I'm really curious about, and we'll go to you first with this, Oscar, is uh, from people you've talked to, especially people in El Salvador, what's their perception of the Bitcoin bond that has been proposed? Uh, yeah, look, so the average Joe, don't, they can, cannot even afford it. 
So like if you ask any people uh, on the street or like friends and family to get some liquidity because they are in trouble, they need some money. They just know that it's another way for the government to fund themselves, but they have no hopes of participating in in that and and purchasing it because, yeah, in El Salvador, you know, like the minimum wage is $364 a month in the city. So if you wanted to buy even like 100 bucks of a bond, you'll be down one third of your income for the month. So, so yeah, like, uh, like average people will not be able to, to purchase it. And as you said, um, the regular bonds that El Salvador was issuing, they had like a 19% return rate. And the Bitcoin bond was supposed to have a 6.5%. Uh, there were some economists that asked some questions about the bonds. They wanted to know a little bit more information. Like last week, there was this um, guy on, on Twitter. His name is Frank Mucci, I think. He tweeted like a long thread of 150 questions about the bond. On the other hand, if you are a, a plebe, you know, like or, a, or like a badly informed investor, you probably wouldn't ask such questions, right? That like you would probably just purchase it because you have faith on on the Bitcoin City project or something like that. Uh, but yeah, like from the El Salvadoran, like average El Salvadoran perspective, this is just a way for the government. And Mario, is that consistent with what you've heard, or is there anything different you've been hearing? Yeah, I think I. I... I'm going to agree with Oscar because when you talk with anyone in El Salvador, I don't think they are planning to invest on these bonds, even uh, on the group of fans of the president. Uh, they are uh, looking at these bonds like something they are going to sell to outsiders. Uh, and this is the feeling that you have when, when you look at their comments over social network in, in Twitter um, or in Twitter, because uh, they say, no, this is the government getting money uh, from foreigners to invest in El Salvador. So, uh, and it's kind of interesting because even if, I mean it you will think that uh, maybe b- because the the barrier to buy this kind of bonds is not that high um, there will be some people interested but yeah we, we need to understand that many people doesn't have $100 spare to spend on this kind of bonds and wait five years just to get uh, six, uh, well, to, to get this uh, six per, uh, 6.5% on, on interest. So it doesn't make sense for many people. Yeah, I would like to add that, you know, this bond is also like the returns of this bond is also tied to the value of Bitcoin, you know. So they were, they were even like mentioning that the bond is going to have the biggest uh, return of investment ROI if Bitcoin reaches one million dollars. So <laughs> that gives you an idea of how far fetched you know it, it is that you're gonna uh, have some gains from this investment. So to to be, I just want to say to be fair, I think most bonds in America that are sold are sold to foreign investors. Like I just to just to point out that I think like gen, in general the bond markets it's not about so, like American bonds are not for at large anymore the American average retail investor to purchase. At one time, that was likely the case, I think, like before World War II and during World War II. But since then, it has become far less of a investment for normal average investors. And Bennett, you're going to look up and pretend like it's a normal no, thing. No, no. How many bonds do you own, that's, buddy? That's not what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about the percentage of newly issued U.S. treasuries, which end up getting bought by the Fed. 
and whether we might still be buying a plurality of our own bonds. That's that's the but that's a different that's a whole other issue that we're not going to get into in this episode. That uh, let's not let's not get everybody on the the uh, MMT and gold bugs and Bitcoin. Let's just avoid it. I don't want to go there. Um, let's stay on topic. You guys obviously have family and friends in El Salvador. So my question to you right now is: I've heard overwhelmingly that Nayib Bukele is like support like supported by the El Salvadoran public at large. Do you think that's fair to say? Like do your friends and family like are they happy with the job that he's been doing? Mario, you wanna go first or like <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's the, the problem is that um it, it's this is something hard to measure because you know uh normally the way that you measure this is uh, for uh through surveys. I mean, uh, normally it's it's people uh, uh, calling random numbers to try to ask people if they like or not uh, the way that the president uh, manage the the country, and uh, the kind of answer you are going to get is yes, uh, they they kind of like the way that uh, he works, but uh, you need to understand that this is not the only president that has uh, got this level. I mean, a, a good approval in general. General. And and it's kind of normal that they start with like, higher levels of, of people liking them, but as time passes and they don't deliver their promises, <laughs> uh, this perception starts to change. So at least in my family, I don't think no one liked uh, him because what happened to me. But <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, what happens is that this guy focuses on things that he can deliver and show every. Every, everyone, even if he is not like attacking the core issues of the country, so this is what gets him these uh, high uh, high levels of um, approval uh, within Salvadorians. And I would like to complement this, you know, mentioning that there are usually two sources of polls in El Salvador that measure his popularity. One will be like the government, you know, paid polls from companies like Mitowski and something like that. Uh, but even like publish uh, presidential rankings and surpri- not surprisingly, Nayib Bukele is like over some of the other leaders in the world, something like that. And uh, the other source, aside of the government sponsor polls, are the universities like the Central American University or the Gerardo Barrios University. And when you contrast the data, the universities always like put him maybe like 10 or 15 points below the other pollsters, right? And also you have to understand that his popularity is based on very populist uh, measures. For example, uh, giving uh, people in like poor uh, conditions a box of food uh, that they've been giving away since the, since the pandemic because a lot of people uh, lost their jobs. And like there's high unemployment at the moment in the lower uh, middle class, low, low class. So look, friends and family, extended family, they are not so happy. And I even had cousins that were um, 100% for him, you know, in the past. But after all of these measures that have uh, made the economy go down and they are not happy. They are not happy because they know that if they have a credit card, if they have uh, like a mortgage or if they have like a loan for their cars, now that, you know, 
ranking of El Salvador banks is going down. Now that the country's, you know, Moody's rating is triple C, everything is going to become more expensive. And we have like a global, you know, inflation crisis too. So yeah, like I, I bet people will be happier if the government were taking measures to protect the economy instead of just dilapidating money uh, in marketing and using the Bitcoin brand to push an image that when you go to El Salvador, and because I go a lot to El Salvador, you don't see real change. You know, like uh, it's been the same for the last 33 years and this government has three years and you don't see the real changes. It's just like a lot of HD videos and 4K videos and 3D renders, but that doesn't mean any change for people. So, uh, you know, that that's, that's what I think. And people is noticing it. People is noticing. They are actually pretty good in making <laughs> renders. <laughs> <laughs> the chief export of the El Salvador Bitcoin team is 3D renders. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember the, the all this render that they did for the uh, Bitcoin conference in Latin America back there in El Salvador. So yeah, I don't want to see that again, but... Okay. <laughs> he was in like a flying saucer, wasn't he? Wasn't it a flying yes. saucer? Yeah. <laughs> it was a flying saucer. You, you know what, Cass, Bennett uh, and Mario, um, if I superimpose the audio from the Bitcoinet guy to that video, it matches perfectly. With the UFO. <laughs> Maybe it was done by the same guys. <laughs> Both BitConnect and El Salvador just went on Fiverr and clicked the yeah. first feature yeah. person for 3D renders. Um, okay. Sorry. To go back to a more serious topic real quick here. Mario, you, you mentioned that no one in your family are big fans of Naib Bukele because of what happened to you. Do you mind expanding on that for our listeners? Because I, I, maybe maybe some of our listeners are not yeah, familiar with, yeah. with what happened. Okay, what happened was that, you know, everything related to the Bitcoin is kept as top secret for the government. So um, a couple of days before uh, they released the, this Chivo wallet, the official government uh, uh, Bitcoin wallet, we were able to get like a couple of slides of the application. And uh, I shared that over my Twitter account uh, because we, we have nothing about the application. So I tried to explain to people why what was on these uh, PowerPoint slides uh, to explain, okay, this, this looks like the application and uh, these are the features that they are going to present. And, uh, well, that was I, uh, the only thing that I was doing. Next day after that, uh, I was going to, to my work and, uh, uh, you know, the, the police was uh, waiting for me outside my home. So they arrested me. They took me there uh, and, and they didn't allow me to talk with my lawyers. They never showed a warrant. Never they, and neither they explained why they were arresting me. Uh, arresting me. And, uh, well, fortunately, I was able to, uh, to notify the people on Twitter, not directly, but I have, like, contact with uh, several. Uh, groups uh, of friends so I told them well I don't know what's going on they are take me taking me to the to the police and and I don't know what's going on so if you don't hear about me in a couple of hours please uh, raise your voice so they did it and uh, the response 
was so big for from all the people that they had to release me. But uh, they took my cell phones. To this day, almost nine, uh, six months later, I don't know where where they are. They are, and and I don't know what they are doing with them or what they are planning uh, with all this. So, and it's crazy, you know. Uh, a lot of politicians starting uh, started to tell that I was um, uh, some kind of a scammer. That I was um, there was some issues with the banks a couple of of days before, so they uh, were trying to accuse me of uh, uh, hacking the banks and things like that. So it, it was pretty crazy. So yeah, that's the reason why my family doesn't like uh, Bukele administration in general. So and and they have like a good reason basis for that. <laughs> good reasons. Yeah. Like, I, I want to add that I was in El Salvador when that happened to you, Mario, and I was pretty alarmed, you know, and I was part of that, you know, group of people that raised their voices on Twitter. And uh, obviously, it was like an unjust arrest. Uh, as Mario said, no warrant, uh, no reason to take his devices whatsoever. Um, yeah, it, it was really scary because it was like... Um, you know, like int- intimidation for everyone, like everyone that was raising their voices and trying to inform the public about this big change uh, regarding Bitcoin, because all of this information has been reserved and deemed secret. It is not the same as three years ago, where you could go to the Ministry of uh, Economy website and have access to a transparency uh, section or transparency website. All of that is gone. And all of this has been deemed top secret information for the next seven years. How much was invested into the Bitcoin marketing? How much was invested invested into the creation of Chivo Wallet? Which were the um, international partners? Um, was there any like contest to hire them, or were just hired because somebody in the government, you know, pointed a finger and said, "Oh, I want to hire this company and this company and this company." to create the backend and the ITM system and the application for Chivo Wallet. So like a lot of people have been speaking out and raising their voices and gathering the little bits of pieces of information to keep uh, the people informed. And Mario was one of them, and that's why he was targeted. Yeah, and, and I would like to point that, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'll live in El Salvador my whole life, and I never feared and at any point that uh, I will be target of the government just for saying the things that I thought until that day. And and I think it's it's the worst thing because it's it's a complete different country that I that, that the one that I live in uh, my whole life because I never fear of of, of just talking and, and telling the truth and speaking aloud. And uh, but it's different now. The, the people has fear and 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 they fear that if they start telling things about the government and and they they make become a target like like me there's so many bad things in those in those stories right like this a, a warrantless arrest like only released after significant public pressure trying to adopt this transparency that is advocated for on the basis of its transparency and then trying to hide it all it's troubling yeah and i want to mention that the governments we had in the past 30 years before this one they were corrupt you know, they were uh, bad. They left a lot of promises not accomplished. But the freedom of speech during those 
30 years was much better than the one that is going on right now. And the, one of the proof that I want to give you is that because we had these transparency institutions going on in El Salvador and having all of the different government branches have a transparency section on their websites, releasing documents for the public to see them and for the journalists to have access to them, we have a former president that is in jail, and we have another former president that is a fugitive that is asylum in Nicaragua. So that shows you that that kind of um, accountability, you know, the investigative journalism, uh, digging on these websites, finding documents, uh, publishing articles, having like an independent district attorney, an independent uh, judiciary system, all of that in the young democracy of El Salvador that obviously wasn't perfect, but it was kind of starting to work. And we had these two former presidents, one from the leftist FMLN party and one from the right arena party, one jail and another fugitive. Well, now there's two fugitives from the uh, FMLN because there is a second one that went to Nicaragua seeking asylum. So at least, you know, institutions were kind of working and these people were in jail or were fugitives. But now this government just wiped away all of the transparency organizations and we have no idea of how the money is being spent. You know, Salvadoran taxpayers' money is just like the uh, petty cash for them. Like We don't know how they are like that, So that, that's another question that I actually want to address, which is I think that and, – and the United States has uh, – let's be honest, contributed its fair share to issues and problems that are present in Latin America, all over Latin America. I think that's a good way to describe what the U.S. has done in Central America and Latin America. But it is interesting to me that you're suggesting that it feels far more authoritarian under Naib, because when Bennett and I did our first episode about Naib Bukele, I think we reserved a lot of like judgment. We were not trying to go there. We didn't want to declare this guy a dictator, authoritarian. Like, we didn't know what to expect with him. But it sounds to me like you're both firmly in the camp of, like, uh, there's been a drastic change over the past few years and not for not for the freedom of people in our country. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing, because, you know, this uh, this everything is going really fast. I mean, uh, the, the first thing that they did uh, was to change the general attorney. They replaced uh, the highest constitutional court. So uh, the problem is that essentially they, they can approve uh, any kind of laws they want. And uh, you don't have as a citizen any recourse uh, to try to defend yourself because normally, uh, at least in the previous governments, if if you feel or, or, or think that uh, uh, the government was unfair to you, you can like go to the constitutional court and, and they can try to do something, right? But it's not the case anymore. So uh, it's something that worries us a lot because I mean it's it's making the work really hard for all the people that uh, works in human rights, uh, people that is uh, fighting for for in general for for improving the situation in El Salvador. Uh, are um, they are no targets of the government, and and the way that the government targets people is uh, one by. Uh, 
trying to attack their image uh, in social networks mostly. Uh, you ca can see this. Uh, I, I don't know how to say it because it's, you have this, this legion of trolls attacking people that is against the government. I think that it, that's the best description. And uh, Yes, they have, they, have, they have troll farms, you know, and like if you criticize any like mem like cabinet member very very soon you're going to have someone uh, like uh sending the the troll army after you so yeah like look uh, a part of like Najib Bukele's popularity we don't have to uh you know uh, we need to remember that it's because he has mastered the use of social media you know and that actually helped him a lot to uh get elected and he uses social media to um incline uh what's you we know call it a cult of personality news. here right so yeah it's a cult of personality and what mario was trying to to convey i guess mario uh, is that they do character assassinations yeah, like that's anyone the, that's that the is word. against them <laughs> that's that's what they that's what they can do. i can i just quickly i just want to ask one question sorry so so both of you are talking to me about this panopticon we, we used that word a bunch last episode panopticon of the government kind of like watching everything everything you guys are saying and and let me let me just express this in a different light than El Salvador where I, I spent my whole life in the US but I spent a significant portion of time in like before coronavirus in China and I, I can tell you I've never felt safer in my entire life than when I was in China. I wasn't going to get mugged. I wasn't going to get shot. Nothing bad was going to happen to me unless it was a government henchman putting me in prison. But never have I felt safer. I'm wondering if Naib has made El Salvador feel safer. I don't think so. <laughs> no. No, because uh, what you see on the images you see on the media, you know, like the soldiers like going around, they are not, you know, they are not really like accomplishing their mission. Like, first of all, we have the police, you know, the national uh, civil police. Uh, those guys have the uh, mission to keep everyone safe. Like the army is not supposed to be on the streets, uh, like doing this kind of like civilian security tasks. Uh, but no, it's not safe, Cass. Like you could go, you, look, you you can go to El Salvador to the touristy places. You can go to middle class neighborhoods, like um, expensive neighborhoods too, and you won't get mugged. But you know, if you are the average person that takes public transportation and lives in a like a troubled neighborhood that is like dominated by one of the gangs, you are in risk, and, and you cannot walk if you if you live in one neighborhood. You cannot walk into the next neighborhood because what's going to happen is that the gang members, they will ask for your ID to verify your address. And if you don't live there, at least two things will happen. One, one is that they're going to ask you for money, like extort you to let you go. And the other one is that you probably won't get out of that uh, neighborhood alive anymore. So it's, it's that unsafe in some like bad neighborhoods. But maybe like 90% of the country is, is safe, you know, like if you travel there, go to the, to the beaches and, and, and Bitcoin Beach and, and whatnot, uh, it'll be safe for you. And, and also as a Salvadoran, I have, you know, common sense and I have like a street smarts and I know where to go and where not to go. 
So um, that also helps. But, you know, I, I wanted to come back to the Bitcoin topic and, and the, the crypto topic because it's really ironic, right, that Bitcoin was supposed to be um, a tool for individuals' financial freedom, and now it's being used by a government that is increasingly authoritarian, right? And uh, you see the Bitcoin community, they are libertarians, they are like all kinds of people, you know, but they don't seem they to be volunteers now, which yeah. is the <laughs> ultimate hypocrisy with what you're you're talking about. But but they don't they don't seem to be bothered about like who is using and pushing Bitcoin as long as the number goes up. So so yeah, it's like really sad and ironic that this kind of technology, instead of like being used for what it was initially intended, it has devolved into like a tool for a like a like a horrible dystopia you know so <laughs> yeah and, and i would like to add that most of the perception of the improvement in the security situation in el salvador is because the number of uh, or the homicide rate is reduced uh, but the problem that that's a tricky measure of uh, security first because uh, uh, extortions to business uh, is something that uh, it still happens and and happens a lot you cannot have like a small business there because uh, you know that at some point uh, some gang members are going to ask you for money if you want to continue operating and the other thing that is usually not reporting is missing people and we have a lot of missing people in El Salvador and these two numbers are uh, you are not going to hear about this because obviously the government doesn't want to look like it's failing and the only number that they can control i think that there was like a, a bias uh, episode uh, a couple of months ago uh where uh, some gang members explained uh, that they can control the numbers of uh, they can reduce the number of homicides just to show that they have the control of this number so that's the real situation and and you know it's it's crazy because people see that there is uh, less homicides, homicide rate, but uh, yeah, in, in in reality, nothing has changed, and and many of us uh, suspect that there is some kind of truce between the gangs and the government. During that, you mentioned um, government failures, so I think now would be a great time to discuss Bitcoin Day, when uh, Bitcoin officially became legal tender in El Salvador. So, uh, Oscar, can you? Describe briefly your experiences and the things you saw on Bitcoin Day. Look, Bennett, I am a mobile developer. I've been creating apps for the last 10 years. So I was really eager, you know, in September uh, last year to download Chivo Wallet into my devices and start using it. So, you know, I, I that's what I did. But uh, unfortunately, during the first three or four hours, Apparently, they didn't make the system elastic. They, they didn't have the server capacity to handle the demand. So it crashed. So it was really funny because after they launched it, you had the president on Twitter trying to be like customer support for the app and telling people, um, we are having a disruption at the moment. Please try again later. Uh, if you're having issues with the app, uninstall it, install it again and whatnot. So the initial experience of all of the Salva El Salvadorans with Chivo Wallet was that they couldn't download it. 
And the second bit of the experience was that the KYC was failing and the KYC consisted on you taking a picture of your national ID that is called the DUI, uh, the front and the back, and also taking a selfie of yourself. And like people was playing with the app and taking a picture of a cup or a picture of a plant and the thing was working. So apparently the uh, KYC was not fine-tuned, you know. So they had these technical issues, you know, as a developer, as a, as a software engineer, I can tell you that those issues have been resolved, you know, like um, now the app kind of works. Like it, it took for them like one week to fix that. But then after that, more issues came afloat. Among them, you trying to send a transaction between the Lightning Network and the transaction getting stopped for days. Uh, you saw your money was kind of frozen there. Other phenomena that happened is that like criminals started like impersonating people. Uh, in El Salvador, there have never been like data protection laws and the database, the national database of national IDs, it's something that is like rolling around, you know, like there is like a black market for that kind of information that it's sold and purchased. So yeah, like, like some like criminals that were like tech savvy or something, they got a, a hold of this database of national IDs that include your uh, DOB, date of birth, uh, picture, uh, first name, last name, the city you live. And those were the, uh, the, the data points that you had to enter on Chivo Wallet in order to sign in, uh, create an account, and get your $30 gift. Um, and what happened is that this $30 gift was sent from one wallet to another. And as soon as the ATMs were up, some people went to the ATM and cashed out the $30. That was the initial experience with, with Chivo Wallet. And thousands of Salvadorans were, you know, impersonated and their identities were used to create an account. Among them, you know, family and friends of mine that are supposed to be, you know, tech savvy. But yeah, like it was like a random thing. And I didn't want it to download the app at the beginning, but then my curiosity as a developer dominated me and I actually got it. And to date, I made more than 200 transactions on Chivo Wallet. I, I've done all kinds of transactions as an immigrant. I've also tried to use it to send remittances, so I can tell you how that goes too. Uh, but I want to give the word to Mario, so maybe Mario can complement some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, the thing with the Chivo Wallet is many people download it because they were uh, gifting this uh, 30 USD in Bitcoin equivalent on the application. And and it was kind of funny because since the first day there was uh, some kind of black market for this uh, $30 because you can find like in Facebook post people paying you uh, $15 or $20 so they can cash your $30 because at the end of the day for some people it was really difficult to uh, to actually download the app and and follow the process so there was people paying less than the uh, real price uh, just to get uh, this money out of the uh, of the ATMs uh, the ATMs didn't work that well either 
uh, to this day, there is a lot of uh, uh, ATMs that are not working anymore. But apparently, this has to do uh, with the company that uh, that provided them. Um, apparently, Athena has had a lot of issues internally when they were providing these uh, ATM machines. So, for what I heard, I don't know if it's uh, uh, is if it's the situation, uh, but apparently they are unable to update the software on the on the ATMs, and this is the reason why some of them are not working anymore. Um, fast forward six months. I think that the best measure of uh, the use of the application is the numbers that the government has shared about the number of remittances that they report in, in cryptocurrency. I suppose that they get this number from the Chivo wallet because I don't think any other way that they can actually trace the money flowing into El Salvador. And uh, it's getting, uh, I mean, the amount that they are transferring is getting a small, a smaller month to month. So, um, yeah, it doesn't look like the principal use case to send remittances is actually working. It's a, just a small percentage uh, from the total, like, is less than 1% of the total remittances sent uh, to El Salvador. And uh, when you look at the numbers, uh, there is like uh, an association of uh, business back there in El Salvador. They did uh, a pool at the beginning of this year and they uh, ask a business owner if uh, they were using Bitcoin uh, and 90% say that they didn't use it at all. And uh, the, the remaining 10%, uh, like uh, 4% say that uh, it helped to actually increase their sales, but around 5% uh, also say that it actually reduced their sale. I suppose because they had maybe some problem with the platform or with the volatility. So yeah, I mean, Chivo Wallet works sort of for the people that uses it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's sending, I mean, it is being used by people that mostly want to speculate. The use case that was sold to the population, I don't think it's actually working for most of the people. Yes, like I agree, like day-to-day -day transactions uh, are not working, but some people is probably day trading um, with the app, and that's basically the use base that has probably the, the daily active users uh, of Chivo Wallet. Look, um, as an immigrant in the United States with family in the in El Salvador, I've been sending remittances to help my, my people pay uh, some stuff, you know, like pay off my, uh, my own uh, debts and whatnot. For the last decade, uh, maybe more, and um, I've used all of the tools available to Salvadorans that you can imagine. You know, like in the first couple of months that I was in the states, I didn't have a social security number because I was uh, I had a G4 visa, a diplomat visa, and um, the way that I sent money was basically going to a Western Union, you know, in a little bodega in in Washington D.C., and and that's how I sent money to um, my, my family members that needed it. Um, after that, when I got my SSN, I was able to uh, open a bank account, you know, and have a driver's license and also get this Zoom application to send money to El Salvador. And there's nothing more practical than, than Zoom. And for example, if you want to send 1,000 bucks, 1,000 US dollars, it's going to charge you $14.99 
or $13.99 as is a commission. So PayPal is, is subsidiary thing? Yeah, yeah, it, it's a PayPal subsidiary. So, and the money is almost instantly in your bank account in El Salvador. So basically mirrors an ACH transaction within the U.S., but it does it internationally. But now I want to say this. I am an exception uh, out of the 2.5 million Salvadorans that will live in the United States because um, my immigration status is not irregular. Oh. But if you think about most of my fellow Salvadorans, they do not have a social security number. They do not have a driver's license. And what happens? If you really want to use Bitcoin to send remittances to El Salvador and help these people that send an average of 200, 300 bucks a month to El Salvador and you don't want the Zooms or the Western unions of the world taking like 5 or $10 out of it, which I think the commission is never goes over 5%. Sometimes it's like 2%. But um, what happens? You cannot open a Coinbase account if you don't have an SSN, if you don't have a national ID from the United States, you know, like a driver's license. So there's a barrier for the immigrants in the, in the United States to acquire this kind of way of purchasing Bitcoin, uh, even if they want to download Strike, which was the application that was publicized at the beginning, they have to go through a KYC process and provide an ID. So in practice, only people that has, um, you know, immigration status as, you know, H-1B visa, like, which is like work permit, um, uh, maybe uh, some diplomats, maybe uh, some residents like myself, we will be able to legally, you know, uh, create an account on a, on a crypto exchange, buy Bitcoin uh, or maybe on strike and then send it to, to my family or friend in El Salvador using Chivo Wallet. But, but it's not practical, you know, like the, the great majority of Salvadorans that send remittances, they, they wouldn't be able to use it. I, I just want to point that even with the Chivo Wallet, uh, you need a credit or debit card to purchase Bitcoin, even if they are not asking for uh, for a social security number or any valid identification in the U.S. So you you don't have a way to evade the, the fact that you need to uh, do a transaction with the traditional banks and the traditional payment uh, systems. The only way that the people can send uh, actual money using Chivo Wallet was going to these consulates of El Salvador around the U.S. and use one of the Chivo ATMs over there. So you can go with your cash, uh, put it into the machine and send it to, to the people back there in El Salvador. Uh, but it doesn't make sense because, you know, no one is going to spend, uh, I mean, uh, half of their day just going to the consulate uh, to use an ATM to send money back to El Salvador. So the use case at the end of the day and after six months doesn't make uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like it's clearly beating Western Union here. So the other part of what the Chivo wallet was supposed to be and what this whole Bitcoin legal tender bill was supposed to accomplish is that merchants were supposed to, were obligated to, accept Bitcoin as soon as they had the technical capacity. Mario, you already shared that stat from this group of businesses in El Salvador that suggests the vast majority of them haven't accepted Bitcoin. Is this because a majority of businesses still aren't accepting Bitcoin or there's just no one who wants to pay using Bitcoin? 
That's a very good question. <laughs> well, um, the thing is, you know, normally what you can do in El Salvador is just say, well, I don't have a way to receive Bitcoin payments. And supposedly that frees you from the obligation um, of receiving Bitcoin payments. Uh, and that could work. But the problem is that uh, we have this, this uh, consumer protection office. Uh, and the problem is that anyone can report your business. If uh, you go there and you are not receiving Bitcoin payments, they can go to the consumer protection office and, and fill a report um, to say uh, Mario is not... Uh, accepting Bitcoin. So they can go to your business, make an, in, uh, an inspection. And if you don't comply uh, or you don't have any means to accept Bitcoin, they can, uh, they can find you. So that's the thing with, uh, with, uh, with the business. Obviously, if not very much people is using Bitcoin to pay, you are not, not going to see many reports of people being uh, fined for not accepting Bitcoin. But it's something that uh, could happen. And uh, we got a report of a small store uh, where this consumer um, uh, protection office came just to verify if they were accepting uh, Bitcoin there. So um, yeah, that that's the thing with the business. Uh, most people what it's doing is uh, essentially uh, just downloading the application or it's kind of fun because sometimes they don't load. Uh, we hear reports of people downloading the Chivo application for their business because they know that sometimes it doesn't work. So <laughs> if the application is the official application from the government is not working, well, that's a very good excuse for not to not accept Bitcoin. So it's, it's kind of, of crazy. <laughs> And actually, I want to add that last time that I was there in January, I went to several places and tried to pay with a Chivo wallet or Mon wallet. And I saw that people is really creative and they actually research in a couple of places. They are using Open Node for like a third party provider that they came up with to comply with the law. There was another place that is like a, like a Subway-like franchise, but it's not Subway, that had a little sign next to the register saying that they were working, you know, like quote, in like between quotes, um, in a solution and that the like IT company that was the provider was delayed and that was the reason <laughs> they were not accepting Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, like the Chivo wallet has like basically three modes. You can be like an individual, you can be a company or you can be a point of sale. And most of the time, the point of sale transaction fails. You know, they give you your sandwich, they give you your pupusas or something, and you have to wait some time to, for the transaction to show up. And what happened to a lot of merchants was that they provided the product or services, the, you know, consumer used it or ate the sandwich or something and they were still like waiting for the payments and some of the other guys like there was a guy that uh, made some business with Chivo Wallet at the beginning and had like $300 worth of uh, money over there when he connected his checking or savings account from like the Salvadoran bank and he wanted to transfer the money from the Chivo Wallet to the bank which in El Salvador we have had ACH transactions for decades, you know, like it's something that we have. <laughs> uh, it didn't work. And the $300 like gets stuck 
uh, got stuck in the system and he had to call the customer support line to to get it unstopped. Myself, uh, one of the latest uh, tests that I did like uh, a few months ago is that I sent $1,000 to a Mon Wallet address and it took 19 days for wow. that transaction to pan out. And I had to call customer support three times. And um, yeah, you know, and, and, and if we go back to the component where you don't want to be under this panopticon of government control, this is the funniest thing. Uh, one Thursday, I sent a transaction of $19 from my Chivo wallet to a Mon wallet address. It didn't went through. And on Friday, like 24 hours later, I got a call on my Salvadoran cell phone where I have Chivo wallet installed from the Chivo wallet customer support, like apologizing because of the transaction that didn't went through and that the balance of the money I sent should be on my account. So, you know, like if I download Mon wallet in whatever in the world and I have my Bitcoin there, I, there's no like government that is tracking me and there's no one knowing how much money I am transacting there. But with Chivo Wallet, it's just like a, so controlled by the government that there's no there's no privacy at all. And you were saying this, cast on the last podcast uh, that you like cash because it's private and you can like spend it as you as you want and, and nobody's going to be tracking you. Well, Chivo Wallet doesn't work as cash, even though it has a balance in Bitcoin and a balance in USD. I, I just want to say how blown away I am by the idea of a 19-day wait time on a $1,000 transfer, especially to a place like El Salvador, where like that's life or death money, I would assume, sometimes. Yeah, it's like three months worth of wages. Exactly. That's not $1,000 in Los Angeles, California or whatever. It is real serious money and the idea of that getting hung up for three weeks it's blowing my mind i can send money to china right now and it will take two days america hates china like it's easy for me to send money there this is this is utterly insane to me it's utterly insane um yeah so i i guess one of the last things i'm really curious about is what salvadorians think about bitcoin beach you know, it's it's kind of crazy everything related uh, to uh, Bitcoin Beach. Uh, first, uh, the 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 actual name of the place is El Sonte, um, and they renamed it not officially, but because it, the place it still has its its name uh, to Bitcoin Beach because they started with this. Um, you know, uh, during the pandemic, uh, when people uh, in the middle of the lockdowns, uh, they received uh, this donation of Bitcoin. Uh, I, if I not wrong, it was around nine Bitcoins that they received. Um, and then used this to pay people locally to do all kinds of purchases. Uh, for most of the people, I think it was just a curiosity that they can visit. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, people live in within the cities in El Salvador is a normal, normally you go over the weekend to the beach because it's pretty close or during the week. So most of the people just went there because they want to uh, go to the uh, Athena ATM back there, buy a, a Bitcoin and then spend it on the couple of uh, small business around. And that was all. But you know, the people behind 
behind the project, uh, the people behind the Bitcoin Beach project, they are going to tell you that uh, it's a fully Bitcoinized, uh, something like that, uh, community and everyone uses it to pay everything. But uh, when you go there, you see that it's not the case. First, all the prices are in dollars. So <laughs> obviously, you, they, they are interested in, change, in exchanging their Bitcoin to dollars because at the end of the day, they need someone at some point to buy uh, anything outside that community. So they need to exchange it uh, to dollars. And second, uh, we had the opportunity to go there and talk with uh, with the people that were not using Bitcoin. And the reasons um, they gave us was that they couldn't cope with the volatility of Bitcoin because they live day to day. So uh, one of the problems they had uh, uh, was that they could receive payments, but then they they need the money for the next day. And sometimes uh, the ATM didn't have cash or they have to wait or they need to transfer the Bitcoin to another person to give them uh, dollars. And maybe and, it takes and, 19 and... fucking days to get your US dollars, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was crazy because one of the gear girls we were talking back there told us that for some reason the ATM didn't work after 5 or 6 p.m. So if you end your day after 5 or 6, you will find the ATM closed so you probably won't be able to get the money to buy the things you need for you for the next day. What they told us it was that uh, the ones that were actually using Bitcoin were the big business. I mean, the, the, the hotel owners, the restaurant owners that have a lot of more uh, liquidity. And obviously, they saw that as an investment because they can get like buy $500, $1,000 in Bitcoin, and they can wait. Hodling. Uh, they're just they're yeah. hodling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the the reality was completely different of what uh, is being sold, and uh, there is, uh, I mean, it, uh, like everything around Bitcoin in El Salvador, there is lack of any transparency. I have asked uh, Peterson so many times to tell us what they are doing with the Bitcoin if they have like some balance sheet, so we can uh, take a look of uh, how the money flow if they can if they have any. Measure to 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 say that the implementation of Bitcoin was a success, and they say they can they cannot share anything of that because they don't work for us, and why we want to know about that? And well, you think well, it, it's basic. If you are running a nonprofit organization, you should have a way to report what you are doing with the money that people is donating to you, and these people ca cannot give you the most simple numbers to really evaluate if the Bitcoin beach is really a success or for, for me I don't know it, it it looks like there is something missing there it's it looks fine when you are far away from the actual beach but once you get there and talk with the people it's not like the picture <laughs> well and it sounds like it sounds like the businesses you say are accepting and potentially keeping some of the bitcoin spending the bitcoin trying to use it it sounds to me like the types of businesses you're describing are the ones that would potentially appeal the most to bitcoin rich foreign tourists who are interested in this beach where people accept bitcoin hotels restaurants in the area yeah and uh, look, I, I, I want to mention something. 
if the great maxim of Bitcoiners is verified on trust, you know, in El Salvador, that's impossible because this Bitcoin Beach project is not open with, you know, their system. Like you cannot, there's no place for us to go and uh, get a hold on this, uh, you know, balance sheet that Mario mentioned, like to see if this NGO is is, uh, working transparently in the same way. Chivo Wallet doesn't give you the hash so you can go to any blockchain explorer and see the transactions. And we cannot even know, like, where are the Bitcoins that the, the country purchased. So, so there's so much, like, you know, um, obscurity around all of this topic that if you are really like a, <laughs> like a really good Bitcoiner and you want to verify and not not trust, that's going to be impossible for you at any level. Yeah, and I think this is like the the core issue of everything, the lack of transparency. There is no way that you can verify what is going on. Um, I think that several newspapers try to get the information about the um, distrust fund that supposedly is used to to uh, be able to convert between bitcoin and, and dollars and uh, what the government say to to the reporters to the uh, was that um, this information is secret because there is bank uh, this bank secrecy kind is which is a lie <laughs> because uh, there is no law that says that you can hide public funds the use of public funds but they say that uh, that is a secret and the other thing is uh, all the companies involved on this uh, you know Chivo Wallet is the official. Uh, government wallet, but at the same time is managed by a private company that was funded with uh, public money. Uh, so we don't have a way to get information because um, even, I mean, th- there is some precedent that we can ask uh, private companies about the use of funds if uh, those are public funds. But uh, the problem is that uh, we don't have uh, any way to ask them to give us a report, uh, to, to give us information about their funds or, or how they expand everything. Just so people understand kind of what I think you're referring to right now is that people like Ben and I in the U.S. have what's called a FOIA request, so like or a FOIL request, yeah. so we can go yes. ahead and request specific information from the government based on our rights as citizens of that government. You're saying that does not exist in El Salvador. Well, exists no. in law, in practice, <laughs> right? Regarding to everything related to Bitcoin, is just impossible at this time. Okay. And, you know, this is because we had this institution that was called the EIIP, and that was kind of the one of the institutions, like, keeping an eye on all of this, uh, you know, transparency aspect, aspect of governance. Um, but, but that's another institution that has been dismantled in the, in the last, uh, dismantled in the last couple of years. So, yeah, there's no way to, you know, do a FOIA request in El Salvador. But you know what? Um, I think also, like, we forgot to mention that um, the U.S. Congress had uh, a couple of weeks ago a request for a bill to investigate um, the Bitcoin implementation in El Salvador and that that request was approved. So there's going to be an actual U.S. Congress investigation um, regarding this matter. So... 
all of the information that has been kept secret from El Salvadoran people and the world might pop up in the future, you know, due to this uh, investigation. And, you know, El Salvador is not an island. It's not isolated. Uh, you have to uh, comply with FATCA. You have to comply with FinCEN. Um, it's on the SWIFT banking system. Uh, you as a Salvadoran that's moving more than $5,000, you have to, like, uh, fill a form. And if you are a U.S. resident, you have to comply with FAT, FATCA stuff too. So, you know, El Salvador is not like a lawless place in the great, you know, world stage. So, uh, or it's not exempt from this, like, international um it's not north korea is what you're saying <laughs> yeah not, not, yet. Not, yet. not yet anyway uh, well let's anyways. let's hope not ever but what i do want to say right now quickly sorry guys is that oscar i want i want to leave this with with you and then and then mario you jump in right after that what is most important for everyone who's listening right now to know and we're gonna i if you guys are willing, we'd love to have you on again anytime. I think we need to get regular updates about El Salvador. We need to get regular updates about what's going on in Latin America with all of this stuff. I think it's very, very important. But Oscar, let's start with you. What do you what do you want our listeners to know as they leave this episode? Sure. Um, look, I would like you to know that the Bitcoin implementation in El Salvador was a surprise for 100% of El Salvadorans until June 2021. This isn't something that was like a campaign promise uh, by the people that is implementing it. It was never mentioned until June 2021. Uh, there was no public consensus. There was no um, study with different parts of society, like in the same way that the Federal Reserve is studying the possibility of a CVCD in the United States. So Salvadorans didn't ask for this. They didn't vote for this. And it seems to be that it's not fair to go and change the lives of millions of people and play with their economy just because you want the Bitcoin uh, number go up so if you're a Bitcoiner, please, you know, try to talk with a like average Salvadoran and ask what they think, uh, not just uh, look at the government outlets, you know, and there's a lot of them. Uh, it's like a propaganda machine. You have to see through that and, and try to get well informed and think about there's like millions of people that have been obligated to use this this tool you know in, in this case bitcoin so um that will be the most important thing that i think at the moment you should know i will continue you know doing my job and uh, trying to make aware people in el salvador and latin america uh in spanish telling them about all of the scams and bad stuff that is happening with uh crypto nfts and whatnot uh, and thank you so much, uh, Cass and Bennett, for having me. And if you want me to come back, I'll come back. It'll be my pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, maybe what I would like to say is that we as Salvadorians don't have a way to really know what's the use of uh, public funds in the case of Bitcoin. It's something that uh, was not consulted with anyone in the country. It's something that apparently came uh, from Bukele's family because it's not only uh, Naive, it's also uh, his brothers. And uh, 
the problem is that this is taxes. It's money from the taxes of uh, Salvadorians that is being used to uh, place a bet on Bitcoin. And I think that's not fair. I don't think that anyone in, in, in any country, in particular in the US, will accept that a politician takes taxpayer money to place a bet on something like Bitcoin. And I think that that's important thing that I will point regarding all of this. And we don't have any way to verify the, the use of public funds uh, in El Salvador at this time. I think you both make really compelling points. And as Americans, I can only say that the stuff you're expressing to us, uh, for me, it rings really, it like hits really close to home in terms of like, if this was happening here on a large scale, like you're talking about, I think not only would I be concerned and Bennett would be concerned, but Americans at large would be really concerned about the stuff that you're talking about. So I, th I think you're making very important and compelling points. And God, we would love to have you guys on again. I look forward to talking about all of this soon. Uh, it's constantly shifting. The narrative is moving. The stories are changing. And who knows what next month or next year is going to bring. So um, I look forward to another discussion. This has been super enlightening. So, so thank you both very, very much. Yes, thank you. This was uh, fantastic to talk to both of you and get this more full picture of what the reality of this project looks like. No desperate pleas today. I'm proud of that episode. I am so grateful that Mario and Oscar decided to join us on the podcast. It's more important that people hear about what's going on in El Salvador. So please share this with someone you know if they're a maxi or if they are concerned about geopolitics thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>